Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. In a moment, we'll read verses 14 through 30 of Matthew 25. Uh, This is the final Sunday of this year's spring break. Some of you have been way out of town. I welcome you back. Some of you have been as far as uh, Mexico and Belize and Jamaica and our organist, Dee Bowens, in Iceland. Some of you went to Washington. Uh, I guess the farthest away place that any of our church family has been is Dawsonville, Georgia, and they're the only people who haven't gotten back yet because the flights are delayed out of Dawsonville to Palmetto. <laughs> that would be Jeremy Miller, of course, and he, you know, all right. But I welcome all of you back. I'm glad you had great trips, and I'm glad you're back. And uh, those of us who stayed here are not envious at all of any of you. Um, well, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. I want to talk with you this morning about the almighty dollar. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. Jesus said again, it, that is the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, let me be straight with you this morning, okay? Uh, I'm going to preach about money today, all right? Just today. And if you are visiting with us for the first time or maybe the first, second, or third time, 
And uh, if you are visiting with us and you left the church that you came to us from because the preacher preached on money, uh, let me just comfort you. I hope it'll comfort you. I rarely preach on money. Uh, I rarely do it because I don't like to. And I'm preaching on money today not because I want to and not because our church needs it. Our church is actually in pretty good financial shape, thanks to you and your faithfulness and giving. It's not because I need the money, because uh, this church has always been very generous to me and my family. But I'm preaching this morning on money because it's one of the things that Jesus preached about. In Matthew 25, uh, that section of Scripture is part of a whole larger section in which Jesus told parables. A parable is a story that's placed alongside of a truth for the purpose of illuminating or making clear that truth, a parable. It's a section of, of parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Now, when he's telling these parables, he's not referring to some future kingdom, either up in heaven or down on earth. He he deals with that in other places. But in these parables about the kingdom, when he refers to the kingdom, he's talking about God's reign here and now and our willingness to submit to God's reign. That is the kingdom to which Jesus is referring in these parables passages. And in verses 14 through 30 of Matthew 25, it just so happens that he says the kingdom has a lot to do with what you and I do with the possessions God gives to us. Now, I realize that uh, money is, is one of the elephants in the room in church. Uh, a few months ago, Jack Woodall, uh, our, one, of, uh, one of our deacons and one of our uh, one of the members of our Buildings and Grounds Committee, he wrote an op-ed in our link article called uh, The Elephant in the Room. Uh, money was not the elephant, I don't think it was the elephant that he was referring to, but it is one of the elephants in the room. It's one of those things that we have to deal with every day. We have to manage it every day. We spend money every day. Most of us make money, some amount of money, every day, and yet... Although we deal with it on a daily basis, we rarely talk about it in church. We might talk about it if we're making more of it, but when we talk about giving more of it away, it becomes really taboo. Uh, Preachers get in all kinds of trouble when they mention money as a subject of a sermon. I've had people before visiting Uh, I can't remember anybody doing it in this church, but in my previous church, I remember there was someone who was visiting us for the first time, and it just happened to be on the first Sunday in five years that I preached on money. And the couple who was there that day, the wife didn't mind it so much, but the husband didn't like it at all, and they never came back, and they let it be known that it was because I preached on money that Sunday. It's a, it's a taboo kind of thing. And, and really, there are two reasons that I know of as to why money is such a taboo subject in church. First of all, there's the perception that preachers have abused the issue of money. And I'm going to be honest with you. 
They have. Preachers have abused it. Now, as far as I know, I've never abused it, not with you, and that's not my heart, and that's not the heart of our church. But uh, there, are, there are pastors, there are preachers, particularly television preachers, who definitely abuse it. I get so angry at times when I'm, I'm, I'm uh, flipping through the channels and I come across some, some TV preacher and he's holding up a handkerchief. And he says, now, uh, I, I sense that there's a, a little lady out there watching and, and there, there's, a, there's a man also uh, not far from her, a few miles from her watching and, and God is telling you to give $10,000 and, and if you right now will give $10,000, we'll send you this handkerchief and if you just touch this handkerchief, it will heal you of whatever disease you're working through. That makes me so mad because it's just bull. So it is true. Preachers have abused the issue and it has caused people to really build up immediate walls of resistance when we come to talking about money. A second reason why money is such a, a sensitive issue in church is because statistically speaking, most of us, most of us are not really submitting to Jesus in the area of our finances. And that becomes a really touchy subject. When you're dealing with my own sin, then it becomes touchy to me. When a pastor or a teacher deals with your own sin, the place where you're not submitting to Jesus, then it becomes a real issue. Dr. W.A. Criswell who is deceased now. For 52 years, he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. And he told a story one day of, of uh, they were having a baptism one Sunday morning in their church. And this guy came down to be baptized, this adult man. And Dr. Criswell was about to take him under the water. And the guy stopped and says, oh, Dr. Criswell, I forgot. I've, st- I've still got my, my wallet in my pocket. Let me take it out. And, and Dr. Criswell said, I immediately jerked him under the water and pulled him back up. And he says, hallelujah, I've been wanting to baptize some man with his wallet in, in, in hand. Unfortunately, most of us are like the man who was baptized in a similar situation, but he didn't say anything to the pastor as he went down. He just happened to remember that he still had his wallet in his in his. Uh, pocket. So he pulled it out. And and when the pastor was baptizing him, he baptized every part of him except for the arm that held up his wallet. That's the way most of us are. We don't like people messing with our money. We don't even know if God really cares about our money. I want you to hear this. God cares about your money. And I'll tell you why. Because it's not yours. It's his. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to preach on money. I don't remember the last time I did. Some of you may. I don't know. Um, Damon Skelton and his wife, Lisa. Damon's our traditional worship leader. Uh, Lisa came up to me after the first service. She said, well, as we, we've been here uh, several months now. And this is the first time you've mentioned it while we've been here. So clearly, not very often. But I am today, and I'll tell you why. Because no matter how taboo it is, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about virtually anything else. Let's just look. I want to I show you some stats on a slide. Jesus told about 38 of those parables in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. About 38 pa- parables. Most of them are in the Gospel of Luke, but not all of them. But out of those 38 parables, 16 of them deal with money and possessions. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament dealt with how we manage 
our possessions, including our money. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, deal with money. There are more than 2,000 scriptures between the first of Genesis and the last chapter of Revelation that deal with tithing and money and possessions. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven, hell, and prayer combined? Did you know that Jesus taught more about money than he did about salvation? Now, that doesn't mean that that money is more important than salvation, not at all. But what it does support is the fact that Jesus cared about what we do with money. And that is especially pertinent to those of us in the United States. In the United States, we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. That's no surprise to you. I know that that's no surprise to you that we're the wealthiest nation in the world. But did you also know that we have clinically the most depressed nation in the world? There is a higher percentage of people in the United States who are are depressed than in any other nation on the planet. And did you know that some of the happiest people on earth are in some of the most impoverished nations? on earth. Now, I don't know all the reasons why we're such a depressed nation. I know some of the reasons, but part of the reason may be because of the fact that we have forgotten that there is more to life than having stuff. And we, we become so obsessed with, with our stuff, with getting stuff and keeping stuff and getting more stuff that we've forgotten that, that what is more important in, in terms of having true life, meaning, and purpose and fulfillment is, is putting God first in our lives. You see, money is like an idol. It's like godlike. And, and although we would never admit to worshiping money, if you were to look at our actions and if you were to look at how we handle money, often we, we spend more time really worshiping money than we do, than we do God. John D. Rockefeller was an oil tycoon uh, at the beginning of the last century. If you were to adjust his, uh, his possessions, his, his, uh, everything he had to today's uh, inflationary figures, he, he probably was, has been the wealthiest man who's ever lived. And one day somebody asked him, they said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And his answer, which I think was amazingly transparent, he said, just a little more. How much is enough? Just a little more. You see, money is not sinful in and of itself. It, it is neither good nor bad. We call it amoral. That is, it is not, it doesn't have a moral value to it per se. It is what we do with it, how we get it, how we view it, how we spend it, what we use it for, how we manage it that, that determines whether money is positive or negative, whether it is godly or worldly. And since the Bible has so much to say about it, I want to address a few things with you this morning. The first thing I want you to get is first things first, all right? First things first. And and this right here is foundational, what I'm about to say. God owns everything. God owns everything. Now that means that whatever you have, God has given it to you. Let me refer back to that parable from Matthew 25. Matthew 25, there's a a master, and he decides to go on a long trip. While he's gone on this trip, he decides to give his servants 
differing amounts of gold. One, to one servant, he gives five bags, to another servant, two, and to another one, one, according to their ability. And then he goes on a long journey. Now watch this. In this parable, the master is God and the servants are you and me. And what happens is God gives each of us parts of what he owns for us to use temporarily. Temporarily. You will, you will only use it temporarily. You will never have it permanently. You'll never have it eternally. When you and I die, we will leave everything we've got right here. Because everything we've got was given to us on loan from God. So the master gave these servants five bags, two bags, one bag. He goes on a journey and, and with the expectation that sometime in the future, they don't know when, he's coming back. And he decides to return. And when he comes back, he calls people to account. One of the things we need to realize about our possessions and how we, how we handle money, how we make money is this. There will come a day when you and I will answer to the master for what we've done with what he's loaned to us. Now, if anything, that ought to motivate us to be very careful about what God gives us. Now, if God is the master who gives us of his possessions for us to use temporarily, that means that you and I are stewards. We don't use the word steward very much, but a steward is someone who is entrusted with someone else's belongings for a, a period of time. You and I are stewards. The, you say, well, I make my own money at my job. I earn it myself. No, uh, you may work at a job and they may compensate you for the work that you do, but that money that's been given to you is God's money. It's not yours. The, the salary that this church pays me is not mine. It's God's. He loans it to me. He loans his, his possessions to you for a period of time. You are a steward. Now, that's foundational. God owns it all, and you are a steward. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Now, the second thing I want you to get is this. There is a direct correlation between the way we handle our money on the one hand, and our Christian faith on the other. Folks, hear me say this. I'm going to say it a lot of times uh, when I preach or when I teach, and it's this. I want you to hear this. If you are a Christian, if you truly know Christ as your Savior, that relationship with Christ ought to spill over into your and my behavior. It ought to affect the way we do our business. It ought to affect the way, the quality with which we do our work. It ought to affect the relationship we have with other people. A, a, a personal relationship with Jesus ought to impact the things that we support and the things that we do. Christianity impacts conduct. That is also true when it comes down to what you and I do with our money. When it comes to money, we will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. We'll either worship the dollar or we will use the dollar to worship God. We will either manage our money or we will be managed by our money. Now I want you to get this too. Money is the number one indicator of where you stand in your relationship with God. Now, if you are familiar with the New Testament, 
you probably are thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I recall Jesus saying, uh, here's how people will know that you're my, you're my children, it, by the love that you have for each other. He did say that. He did say that. And love is the crowning characteristic, or should be the crowning characteristic, of, of every Christian to love other people and love them unconditionally. But how do you measure love? I mean, you can't really score it, not without scoring it subjectively. There's no objective way to measure love. However, when it comes to our possessions, the money we have, the money we make, and the money we spend, that is the most quantifiable, that is measurable, and concrete measurement of our relationship with God. Jesus said this in one place. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, notice he didn't say that the other way around. He didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. No, he said where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's where your passion will be. Now, the third thing I want to say to you is, since there is a correlation between our Christian faith on the one hand and the way we handle money on the other, let me just say this. There, uh, the way we manage money reveals three very important truths about our spiritual condition. First off is this. Our use of money reveals whether God is first in our lives. If I tell you in a conversation that God is first in my life, that he is first priority, and yet... If you had access to my checkbook and my my credit card accounts and you looked at my checkbook and you looked at my credit card accounts and there is no evidence that I ever spend money in a way to support God, to support our church, or to support things that God cares about, then you could look at me and say, Jimmy, you say that God is important, but your actions, those that we can measure, tell me otherwise. And so... I believe, my personal belief is that I should take, when I receive a check, I get paid monthly, when I receive a check, the first 10% plus, a tithe is 10%, the first 10% plus of my income goes to this church, the Lord's work in this church. It's what I believe. And I believe that when we put the first fruits of what we make and we give it to God, what that says to God and what it says to anyone else who knows about it, not that anyone should know about it, is this, God is really first in my life. Not only does it reveal that he's first in our lives, but it reveals the extent to which we trust God with what we have left. I was raised in a pastor's family, but I was not raised to tithe. I was not. That was not something that was preached very often. What I was taught was whenever the offering goes around, you're in church. At about that time, you open up your wallet. And uh, I have the only thing I have in this wallet is a $20 bill. If I had a $20 bill, then I would get it and I would put it in the offering plate. And I would lament the fact that all I had was a 20 instead of a 5. Because if I had a 20 and a 5, then I would have given the 5 instead of the 20. Seriously. But whenever it was, I was convicted by the Lord that a tithe is what I should give, or at least a tithe, the first thing that I thought about was, God, I can't afford to tithe, which, by the way, is absolutely ridiculous if I have managed my money adequately. fact of the matter is I hadn't managed my money at that time. And so I, I said, God, I, I can't afford to tithe. And it was like God was saying to me, and he, he, wasn't, he wasn't being mean to me. He said, Jimmy, you can't afford not to. 
You can't afford not to tithe. If I give God the first tithe of my money, that says God's first. And once I give that tithe, I'm doing it trusting him with what I have left. So our giving reveals to what extent we trust God. The third thing that our money teaches us is that, that it reveals is that it reveals whether or not we care about the things that God cares about. I give to this church. I, I feel a responsibility to give to this church first and foremost. I want to give to this church. I believe in the ministries of Palmetto Baptist Church. As much as I'm standing on this stage, I believe in what this church is doing. There are some other things that I give to. I give to missionaries. But I also give to some things that, that are not recognizably Christian. I, I, I support the uh, Innocence Project. Over and above my tithe, I support something called the Innocence Project because the Innocence Project goes into the prison system and they use DNA technology to revisit the cases of people who are on death row. And in the past 20 years, they have, they have exonerated 400 plus People on death row for whom DNA proved that they did not commit the crime that they were convicted of. Just yesterday, there were two guys who, had, who were convicted of a murder 42 years ago, and they were released because the Innocence Project conducted DNA evidence, and they were released. They were in prison 42 years. Nobody. That shouldn't happen to anybody. So I support them. It's not a Christian organization, but I believe God is working through them. So the way we use money reveals whether or not we care about the things God cares about. Finally, God wants us to manage our money to glorify Jesus. Whatever you do, how you get money, how you spend money, how you view money, how you manage money, let all of those things be done for one main goal, and that goal be to glorify Jesus. You manage your money to make Jesus look good. That's what glorifying Jesus means. Now, that means a few things. First of all, know what you have. If, if I were to ask you, and I'm not going to do this, but I, if I were to ask you, okay, uh, in this year, how much money do you plan on making? Would you be able to answer that question? Do you know what you have or what you plan to have. That's a good thing to know. If you don't know what you have, then you have no idea how to manage it. So know what you have. Second, always spend less than you make. How many people get in so much trouble because they always seem to be spending more than what they bring in? Nobody can do that for very long. Don't do that. Know what you have and then spend less than what you're going to have. Number three, the first part of our income should go to the Lord's work. Worship with your money. I do it through our church, first off. Fourth, the second part of our income should cover necessities of your family, the things that, that your family absolutely needs. Then, save some money for the emergency that is coming. Did you hear me there? Save money for the emergency that is coming. You see, you're, every one of us here are either about to go into a crisis, we're in the middle of a crisis, or we're just coming out of a crisis. You're in one of those three places. And if you haven't been in a crisis for very long, look out. It's coming. Save money for that crisis because some of the crises that you experience will cost you money you didn't expect to have to spend. So save up for it. And one final thing I didn't put up there, and that is be careful how you use debt. 
It's best not to be in debt at all. Most of us have to go into some amount of debt. Debt in and of itself is not a sin, but here's the deal. You want to manage your debt. Don't let your debt rule you. The Bible says, oh, no man anything except to love him. <laughs> so be careful what you do with your money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said this. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Watch this. For the love of money, not money itself, but for the, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, Paul says, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I want to end with a quote. Dr. Billy Graham. Billy Graham said this. If a person gets his or her attitude toward money straight, it will straighten out almost every other area in that person's life. You get your attitude about money straight. If I get my attitude about money straight, then that will help straighten out virtually every other area that I struggle with in my life. Baptize your wallet. Let God baptize your wallet. It'll be okay. You can trust him with it. And he does care about it. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that everything we have has been given to us on loan by you. We acknowledge, Lord, that nothing we have belongs to us technically. It all belongs to you. And you have given it to us temporarily. Help us to recognize that. And because of that, Use the possessions you give us for the glory of Jesus Christ. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.